0: Romans chapter three, we will be beginning in verse 21, but let me introduce the passage by reminding you of what we've already been led through. The Apostle Paul is speaking to this congregation in Rome probably many congregations in Rome. It's the Roman church that probably meets in lots of living rooms. As they hear this message, this whole thing, they're not messing with it the way we've been messing with it, I've been messing with it. They actually heard the entire thing read all at once. (laughs) So they got the big picture. I would encourage you on your own time to sit down and read through Romans and then read through Romans again and then read through Romans again and then read through Romans again because you it comes together and it becomes a big picture. It becomes that lens through which you can look at the world and understand God's principal work in this world is the work of redemption, the work of redemption. The human race has one gigantic problem. And we got lots of problems, but the gigantic, most gigantic problem we have is that we, left to ourselves, stand condemned before the holy God. And in us, there is no solution. In us, there is no solution. We stand condemned, and in us, there is no hope we both stand condemned and we are sinful and we are const- now some put a curtain in front of that because they don't want you to see it and so like the pharisees of which the author of this letter Paul was a pharisee what is a pharisee a pharisee was a sinner that walked around with a curtain wrapped around himself. And he actually, they actually succeeded in fooling some people into thinking that they, the Pharisees, because they kept this part of the law and that part of the law, they actually made up extra rules just so they could separate themselves from those otherwise maybe holy Jews. Oh no, we're the holiest of the holiest of the holiest. They made up extra rules, all kinds of stuff. And aren't you impressed by me? And God says oh no, no, please stench of stench. That's what your righteousness is. All of your, the Word of God says all of your righteousnesses are as filthy rags. And that's a very polite translation. I won't tell you what it means in a public place. Your righteousness, the best you can boast of, left to yourself where it's energized out of you is as filthy rags. You are sinful and you stand condemned before the holy God. And that is the order that Paul presents it to us in Rome. We are sinful, sinful, And we stand condemned. And beginning with the passage today that we're going to be looking at, he now is stepping forward and solving problem B first. And that is the standard format, as I've noted before, that's the standard format in the Roman Mediterranean Greek culture world when they were presenting issues, presenting lectures would be issue A, issue B, issue C, issue D, and they would address it in reverse order, DCBA. And that's how Romans is laid out. But problem A is we are sinful. Problem B, we stand condemned. Paul is going to solve problem B first. What is the resolution to my condemnation? Chapter 3, beginning in verse 21. After he has laid out, let me give us a running start here. I'm going to actually start in chapter 3, verse 9. I'm just going to read, okay? What then? Are we better than they, these Gentile Christians? Yuck. Not at all, for we have previously charged both Jews and Greeks that they are all under sin. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands. These are all from the Hebrew Scriptures addressing Israel. There is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They have together become unprofitable. There is none who does good, no, not one. Their throat is an open tomb. With their tongues they have practiced deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways, and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. That is the charges against the human race left to ourselves. Apart from being incentivized and empowered by the Holy Spirit, that is what describes all of us. Now, we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, that's the Jewish people in particular, but in fact, all of the human race. Why? Because Paul's already said, the Ten Commandments is written in our hearts. We all know, don't murder. We all know don't steal. We all know don't commit adultery. We all know don't lie about your neighbor. We all know that we should be worshiping the creator God. Do we do it? No, it says in Romans chapter 1, they suppress the truth in unrighteousness because what may be known of God is manifest to them, but they don't want to acknowledge it, so they pretend they turn their back on it. They suppress it. They run away from that declaration there is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight for by the law is the knowledge of sin. What's wrong with the law? Not a thing wrong with the law. The job of the law is it is a diagnostic tool to tell me what my problem is. It doesn't fix things. It tells me what needs to be fixed. By the law is the knowledge of sin. But now, verse 21, but now, the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed. Being witnessed by the law the five books of Moses, and the prophets. Oh, by the way, this is good news, this is good news, but you know what, it's not new news. The Gospel is found in the Hebrew Scriptures. Serpent, I'm going to bring a seed from the woman. He is gonna bruise your head and you're gonna bruise his heel, but he's gonna crush you. Isaiah 53, written 700 years before Jesus' coming. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. When you make his soul, the travail of his soul, your offering I, God, will see that and I will accept that and I will cleanse you. That's Isaiah 53. Maybe, I heard years ago that every so often in the Orthodox Jewish synagogues, they read through, over the course of a year, they will read through the entire book of Isaiah, but they skip chapter 53. Why? Because it's so obviously fulfilled in Jesus of Nazareth that they can't tolerate it. And so they skip that chapter, the one they most need. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. Isaiah is including himself, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Now the righteousness of God, apart from the law, from law-keeping is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God, through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe. What role do I play in this becoming my my blessing? Faith. What's, What's the moral requirement well, let's look at this. Folks, the entire human race walks by faith. When you put your clothes on and you button your shirt or whatever, you're trusting it's going to stay buttoned. <laughs> when you get in your car and you turn on the, you know, obviously there are times when it doesn't work, but you're trusting it's going to work. And everybody lives by faith. The issue isn't, are you going to live by faith, but what are you going to live by faith in? And if you're living by faith in your own righteousness, it's going to blow up in your face. But if you place your trust in the redemptive work of Jesus on the cross as the one who paid sin sacrifice for you, if you abandon your self-righteousness in favor of that sacrifice, God welcomes you. That is the only act that ever addressed the issue of the guilt of my sin, and Jesus paid my sin penalty. All of the lake of fire experience that I deserve was poured out on him on the cross, not only for him, but for the entire human race. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He bore the penalty. He is the Lamb of God, said John the Baptist, who takes away the sin of the world. And I know I've said this before, but it's important for me to hear it again, for you too. The Nicene Creed says it perfectly and correctly, He, Jesus, is true God of true God, true man of true man. Not half man, half God. Fully God, fully man, joined together in one person. And so who was this on the cross? He is able to do, because of the eternal value of who he is, he is able to accomplish in a span of a few hours on the cross what it would take us an eternity, an unending eternity in the lake of fire. Would never, and he's able to say, it is finished. It's paid in full. And to receive the benefit, what do I do? Hold out an empty hand. That's it. That's it. That's my, have enough faith to, may I please? And God uniformly says, yes, with my pleasure. I'm loving it. Here, here's mercy, His mercy, here's mercy. God loves mercy. But now the righteousness of God apart from the law, from law keeping is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all, and on all who believe. That word translated belief is also translated faith or trust, depending on how it sounds to the translator's ear. (laughs) And all those who trust, who have faith, for there is no difference. Nobody has better, left to ourselves, nobody has better standing with God than anybody else. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Being justified, granted a. We are justified. We are brought into a standing with God where He says, Hello, Holy One. Hello, St. Bob. Hello, St. Ginny. Hello. He grants to us, He not only wipes our slate clean, He writes the righteousness of Christ on our slate. The righteousness of Christ. And so we are welcomed into the presence of the Holy God, welcomed, gladly. One of our favorite verses should be God speaking, Hosea. Jesus quotes it, by the way, to the Pharisees. I love mercy, I, thus says the Lord, I love mercy more than sacrifice, more than your rituals. I love mercy. That comes from Hosea, where Hosea was the man who is told to go and marry the woman who had deserted him and lived with one man after another, after another. And the whole point of that entire narrative and what Hosea was ordered to do is, I want Israel to understand how merciful I am. Because the same mercy that you grant to this woman who betrayed you, I'm willing to grant to them. Folks, that's the kind of God we have and desperately need. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God being justified, granted a holy, just standing before him freely by his grace, by his gift, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, he redeemed us. What does Job say? Job 19.25, I know that my Redeemer lives. Now it was yet future to him by many, many, many generations, but it was as when God says I'm going to do something, it's as good as done. It's as good as done. I know that my Redeemer lives and shall stand on the earth, and though after my flesh worms destroy this body, still from within my own flesh I will see God. I have that welcome awaiting me being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth to be a propitiation, a satisfaction. His righteous demands were satisfied by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance God had passed over the sins which were previously committed. You know, a real question had to be in the mind of people who really understood God. Lord, when are you going to stomp on the human race for what we've done? When are you going to nail our hides? When are you going to practice that holiness you claim? He did it on the cross. He demonstrated his righteousness to men and angels when God the Son became flesh and went to the cross bearing sin's penalty for us. God the Father was demonstrating his holiness, his righteousness, by what he poured out on his Son, our sacrifice, our substitute. Nobody can say the holy God isn't the holy God, because he proved it when he poured out judgment due to us on his Son. That issue has been answered being justified freely by his grace for the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth to be a propitiation, a satisfaction by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness, because in his forbearance, in his patience, God had passed over the sins that were previously committed. doesn't mean forgetting about. He's left them unjudged. He left them unjudged. He left them unjudged, and then he judged them to demonstrate at the present time within our own lifetimes his righteousness. God the Father was demonstrating his righteousness, his holiness in the crucifixion experience of his Son to demonstrate his right, at the present time his righteousness, that he might be both just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. How can a holy God forgive a sinful human? Because Christ paid sin's penalty for us, giving him perfect freedom to forgive us. All we have to do is say, yes, please. I believe that narrative is true. Will you please give me, holy God, the benefit? And his uniform answer is yes, gladly. Gladly, gladly, I love that account of the woman at the well. Jesus had an appointment. With her. I love the fact in John's gospel said he had to go through. Samaria. Samaria was the place Jews did not go through unless they absolutely had to. If they weren't in a hurry, they would go from Judea across the Jordan River, go up the east side of the Jordan River. And when they got opposite Galilee, then they would recross. But if they were in a hurry, the straight line was through Samaria. And it says Jesus had to go through Samaria. And he's sitting there at the well when the woman came. And she, he uses her to ignite this gospel explosion there in the city of Sychar. And they spend an extra two days there. In he wasn't in a hurry to get to Galilee. He had an appointment at the well with that woman, seeking out the most hated people group among the Jews. The most hated people group was the Samaritans. And he's seeking Samaritans. And this woman who had been married five times is now living with a man who's not her husband. And Jesus says, if you had asked of me, I would have given you an artesia. I would have slaked your thirst for eternal life forever. All you had to do is ask, how can this be? How can this be? Well, oh, and she runs into the town and says to the men in the town square, I believe I've met Messiah. Would you go and... Check him out and give me your expert opinion. Because he told me everything I had ever done. And she was the woman with the worst reputation in town. That's why she was there in the middle of the day. Ladies and gentlemen, that's the kind of Savior, Shepherd, Redeemer we need. Who is more eager to have mercy than we are to ask for it. In His forbearance, God had passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time His righteousness, that He might be just and the justifier of the one that sinful one who has faith in Jesus. Where is boasting then? Uh, Do I get to brag? Uh, I yeah I do, but it's about God, not me. (laughs) Where is boasting then? It is excluded by what law of works? If I made it into heaven by works, I'd have right to boast, but that's not how it happened. No, but by the law of faith. And what is the moral requirement to be able to hold out that empty hand? There isn't any. You can be the beggar at the side of the road and hold out that empty cup. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law, or is he the God of the Jews only, is he not also the God of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also, since there is one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. It's the same door for everyone. Do we then make void the law through faith? Are we saying, well, the law is of no importance, it's of no use? Certainly not. On the contrary, We establish the law. We put it back to its proper, original, proper function. It's a diagnostic tool. It tells me my need. It doesn't fix me. What then shall we say that Abraham, our father, has found according to the flesh, according to his walk on this earth? For if Abraham was justified, made righteous before God by works, he has something to boast about but not before God. Okay, let me just warn you right now. No, it ain't going to (laughs) happen. Not even with Abraham. For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, trusted in God, had faith in God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now, the context is Genesis 15. Genesis 12, Abraham is called. He's given this outrageous, the Abrahamic covenant. I'm going to give you a land. I'm going to give you the western third of the fertile crescent. I'm going to give you one of the most agriculturally productive places on the planet. I'm going to give you a seed. I'm going to give you the uncountable number of descendants and I'm going to bless you, and by the way, the blessing is going to be so overwhelming, it's going to overflow from you to the nations surrounding. That's the Abrahamic covenant, Genesis 12. Genesis 15, he's 90 or 91 years old. He's sitting there in his tent. His wife, Sarah, is about 10 years younger than him, nine years younger than him, and he's like, Lord, <clears throat> Sarah and I still don't have a son. We still don't have any... Pri- and you're supposed to give me an uncountable number of descendants? Abraham, it's at night. Step out of your tent. If you can count the number of stars in the sky, if you can count the number of grains of sand on the shore, you can count the number of your descendants. And Abram believed God to solve his what he had proven was his unsolvable problem. If it was up to him and Sarah, it wasn't going to happen. Abram believed God to solve his unsolvable problem, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Well, we have an unsolvable problem. The debt of our sin, and he pays it off. And that's the template. Abram believed God. It was accounted to him for righteousness. is quoted by Paul here in Romans. It's quoted again in Galatians. It's the gospel template. It's the gospel template. And it would be another nine years. Abraham's gonna be a hundred. And Sarah ninety-one when God answers it, but God answered it. God answered it. And I love it. His son's name was, well, we say Isaac. Yitzhak. That's the Hebrew, which is the Hebrew way of saying yuck yuck yuck. Laughter. I'm serious. Yitzhak, Yitzhak, Yitzhak. <laughs> That's his name because they're laughing. They're so delighted. They're so overwhelmed by the, pro- the promised promise blessing coming to them. That's the way it is when we are embraced in the arms of the God of mercy. <sighs> Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Read Psalm 51, David's confession of his sin of adultery and murder and God's forgiveness that came to him. He should be under two piles of rocks, but God forgave him. That's the kind of God Mark needs. Since there is one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith, do we then make void the law through faith? Certainly not. On the contrary, we establish the law, we put it back in its proper place. Its proper use was to drive the Jewish people to cry out to God for mercy. What then shall we say that Abraham our father has found according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by the works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. It ain't going to happen before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. If I actually could work my way into a welcome with God, God would be paying off a debt he owes me. Folks, that ain't going to happen. That's not going to happen. Even the idiot Pharisees understand that, okay? And of course, that's Paul's own background. But to him who does not work but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith, is accounted for righteousness. His faith steps him into that standing before God of being righteous. Just as David also describes the blessedness of the man to whom the Lord imputes righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sin is covered. This is written a thousand years before Jesus' birth. What's David saying? Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not sin or reckon or count sin. Again, a thousand years before Jesus. Does this blessedness then come upon the circumcised only or upon the circumcised also? For we say that faith was accounted to Abraham for righteousness. How then was it accounted? While he was circumcised or uncircumcised? Not while circumcised, but while uncircumcised. Genesis 15, Abram believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. He would not receive the ritual of circumcision till many years later in Genesis 17. And he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of of the faith which he had while still uncircumcised, that he might be the father of all those who believe, though they are uncircumcised, that righteousness might be imputed to them also, both the uncircumcised and the circumcised, and the father of circumcision to those who not only are of the circumcision, but who also walk in the steps of faith. It's Abraham's faith that is the critical issue. That's what must be imitated to find a welcome with God. In the steps of faith which our father Abraham had while still uncircumcised. For the promise that he would be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, which hadn't even been given. Remember, they're going to go through 400 years. They're going to go through Isaac, Jacob, 400 years in Egypt, come back. Then they're going to get the law. Abraham's hundreds of years before the Ten Commandments are even handed to them. For the promise that he would be heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if those who are of the law are heirs, faith is made void and the promise made of no effect. Why? Because you're going to fail the law. Because the law brings about wrath. For where there is no law, there is no... Before the law, if if God doesn't say don't do something, you know what? You're free to do it. If God says don't do it, don't do it. My mama... Mark, I don't want you sneaking up to the pantry and opening the jar with the brown sugar and reaching in and getting those molasses chunks. They don't do brown sugar the way they used to, and it's so sad. <laughs> but do you know what Mark did when Mama was in the living room as I would sneak into the kitchen up to the pantry and I would reach in that brown sugar jar, and I would get out those molasses lumps. I was sinning against my mama. I was sinning. Now, she had never said that to me. Well, mama, you never told me I couldn't do that. Okay, you're right. No, she did say, don't do that, and I did it anyways. And not being weak in faith, he did not, okay, because the law brings about wrath, for where there is no law, where there is no prohibition, there is no transgression. Therefore, it is of faith that that it might be according to grace, his gift, so that the promise might be sure to all the seed. Everybody can exercise faith. The woman, the Samaritan woman at the well exercised the faith. And in fact, the Messiah to whom she spoke did put an artesian well of eternal life in her heart that sprung up unto everlasting life. I am the water of life. Therefore, it is a faith that it might be according to grace so that the promise might be sure to all the seed, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you, Abraham, a father of many nations, not just Israel, but the people of all nations who hear the gospel can ultimately in some day to come say, I am a replica of Abraham. He is my spiritual father on the human level. I have made you a father of many nations in the presence of him whom he believed. God, who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did. You, we were dead in trespasses and sins. He has made us alive and calls things into existence that formerly, here was an empty place and now it's filled. That's the kind of God we have, that's the kind of God we needed. Any God who was less than that, we would ultimately, he would ultimately fail and we would ultimately fail. But he is the God of all things. He holds the creation in the span of his hand. And Abraham's God, who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did, who contrary to hope, in hope believed, so that he, Abraham, became the father of many nations, according to what was spoken, so shall your descendants be. And not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body already dead, since he was about 100 years old, well, he's actually 91, but that's close enough, he's, he's already proven it's not going to happen. It was up to him. And the deadness of Sarah's womb, he did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God and being fully convinced that what he, God, had promised he was also able to perform, and therefore it was accounted to him, Abraham, for righteousness." Now, it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but also for us. He is the template. He is the exhibit we are to follow, the pattern we are to follow. Now, it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but also for us. It shall be imputed to us who believed, believe in him who raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered up because of our offenses and was raised because of our justification. If someone asks you, why should I believe that what Jesus accomplished on the cross actually accomplished what you say, what the Bible says, that he paid sin's penalty, say, well, let's go to the airport, get on a plane, and fly to Jerusalem, and we can walk up to the empty tomb. Here was the proof to the apostles and everybody else that Jesus had gotten their redemption work done on the cross as when he stepped out of that tomb, as he told them ahead of time he would. We have a risen Lord We have believed in him who raised up Jesus, our Lord, from the dead, who was delivered up because of our offenses, placed on the cross because of our offenses, and was raised because of our justification, because he had gotten the job done on the cross. It is finished. It is paid in full. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And as he had told the apostles ahead of time, on the third day I will rise. And he did. And that is the proof that it, and he was with them for 40 days. By the way, the word, number 40, 40 days of the flood, the 40 Israel 40 years in the wilderness. 40 is the number of testing or proof proving in the Bible. They were with him 40 days. If it was a lie, some point in that 40 days it would have collapsed, but it didn't. They were with him 40 days, and then they witnessed him ascend into heaven. Ten days later is the 50th day, the day of Pentecost. Let's pray. Our Lord. What has been laid out before us is the foundational reality of our relationship with you. We must never forget, never forget, the enemy of our souls wants us to forget. He wants us to become oriented either to our self-righteousness and walk in pride, or he wants to overwhelm us with the guilt of our sin and drain us of all energy And you have said, no, here is my son. He paid sin's penalty for you. And as it says in Revelation chapter 12, the enemy of our souls stands day and night before the throne of God, accusing the brethren. But the brethren, that's us, overcame him by the blood of the lamb. We are continually, when Satan comes at us, denying the gospel reality, we have the right and the power of the Holy Spirit to turn around and punch him right in the face with the declaration of the truth of what you accomplished. They overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. And because they did not love their lives even unto death, we choose death rather than to dishonor you. And this is the core reality of our relationship with you, and we give you thanks. This is mercy made real in our life experience, and we give you the praise. And all God's people said, Amen.